By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can find me at practical-golf.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter, check out our deals, and we have over 400 free articles on how to get better at golf. You have 400 articles? I've been writing a lot. I mean, it's been six and a half years. I got to about 300 and then I... I'm not tapped out of ideas. I just slowed down during coronavirus. And I started, I wrote my first article again last night. I can't even remember what it was on. <laughs> That's how enthralling it was. So it must be really good then. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually it was, it was a pretty good one. It was on my swing experiments. The one where I took all these crazy swings and then recalibrated impact. And then I, I just did a discussion on that. So if you're, if you're listening, get in on that. That's going to be published this Sunday or if you're listening in the future, it's already published. Anything else? What about your course? That's, oh, I think people are going to miss it. Oh, that's done. Sorry. That's done. You've missed out, guys. You've missed out. But you can get on my other products as well. I've got, if you go to adamyounggolf.com, the topic that we're talking about today, distance, we're going to be talking about lots of things like spin loft, angle of attack, strike. And so the strike plan would be the ideal matching product for that, where I show you more how to do this. You can see it visually and have more drills as well. Perfect. So today we're going to take a deep dive into everyone's favorite topic, how to maximize driver distance. We've touched on some of these concepts in other episodes, but we wanted to dedicate at least one. Perhaps this will be a two-parter. We'll see how much Adam and I yak about this. So we're going to teach you all the different ways that result in increased driver distance. And it's something that, you know, all golfers should pursue because if you can hit it farther, you're going to lower your scores. Adam, it always boils down to with maximizing driver distance, we end up talking about efficiency and swing speed and all that stuff. Why don't you kick us off there and like the, the two paths we're going to take with this. And I, I want people to pursue both but maybe give the dichotomy of this discussion of efficiency versus swing speed. What's well, interesting. What is your swing speed? Now it's it's even more with my 47-inch driver. I'm getting up to 110 to 112 miles right. an hour, whereas last year, you know, I did some work with super speed. I, was, I had a shorter driver shaft and still do with a 44-inch. So I was getting like 105, 106 on the 44-inch shaft. I'm about there. I'm probably a little less now. So I'm between 100 to 105 right now, which is really low. So I know people listening in on this are going to be saying, well, why on earth would we take information from you guys on how to hit it far? And I would say that sometimes the people who struggle or the coaches who have struggled with an issue are the ones who have more answers on certain things. Now, Oh, I, I know why we have the answers. I also want to mention that we are both <laughs> – how tall are you? I think you're the same height as me. Yeah, I'm 5'8". I'm okay, I'm 5'8 too on a good day. So we are both small men. 
perhaps we have Napoleon complexes as well. <laughs> yeah, my, my genetics for speed creation is horrendous as well. I always say this, I can run a marathon without training. I've got really good genetics for running. But if you ask me to throw a ball or do something powerful that requires a quick impulse of energy, I've just got nothing in me. It takes me, I can do 100 meters in about 15 seconds, which is bad. But then I can continue that for another 10 miles. So I've just got, I've got lots of stamina, but just no genetic ability for power. Now, in all fairness, I haven't really trained it. So that's why my swing speed has never gone up. I want to try, I want to really give a go with the super speed sticks at some point. I know you've, you've done that. And then experiment with the longer shaft, which we've already talked about. But in this podcast, it'd be interesting to talk about the efficiency part because I certainly, I struggled with increasing my swing speed, so I had to, by default, go a different route, and I had to maximize my efficiency. So in terms of the physical attributes, I don't have those, right? But in terms of the technical aspects, I am maxed out. So there's a couple of formulas, and Andrew Rice shared a nice formula the other day on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. It was... I did. So he was talking about ball speed multiplied by 1.75 would be your maximum carry at normal conditions. So my, if you've got a ball speed of about 150 mile an hour, that's going to equate to about 260 yards of carry at normal conditions. Not in Vegas conditions where it's hot, dry, humid, and you're at something like 3,000 elevation. I, I get a, little, a few more yards out here. But lots of people don't know what their ball speed is, right? But they do know what their club speed is, or they have a better idea. And in terms of efficiency with club speed, you can basically multiply your club speed by 2.6. And it does vary a little as you go up and down the scale of your club speed. But for most people, multiply it by 2.6, and you're going to get very close to what your maximum carry could be, potentially. Yeah, I just I just did it myself. So if I took 110 miles an hour, it's 286 yards. And my ball speed is probably in the low 160s. So let's say 161 times 1.75, 282 yards. So yeah, that's yeah. when I strike it well, I'm carrying it in the low 280s. I'm, I'm maxed out like you. I've, I've worked on the swing speed, but I've become as efficient as I possibly can be. And is that the route you prefer? I prefer most golfers to get efficient first, not to say that you can't work on swing speed at the same time. I'd prefer to, for you to like squeeze all, all the, the juice out of that whatever fruit before you go crazy on the swing speed stuff. But you can do both at the same time. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say I'd say do both. And the reason why is because actually increasing your efficiency in terms of distance some of the things that do that can actually reduce accuracy. The main one that I'm thinking of is reducing spin loft. Okay, so if you want to get a really low spin rate, in general, there are some things that you can do with equipment now. But if you want to get a really low spin rate and maximize your ball speed, you've got to reduce spin loft. The problem with reducing spin loft is if your club face is open or closed by one degree, the ball's going to go a little bit more offline. Now, I would hypothesize on strokes gained, I'd love to see some, some numbers drawn up on this, but I'd hypothesize that the gains in distance that you get would outweigh any dispersion. So we know that, what is it, if you add 30 yards, you gain like 0.1 of a shot each time or something. We don't want to go too much, but. It's more than that. Yeah, if you if you can add like 20 to 30 yards of distance, it's different for different levels of golfers, but you can expect, you know, it'd be less for tour players, but for a 15 handicap, it could be a quarter of a stroke, a third of a stroke. That's an important thing to understand about distance in general is that, and this is really from Mark Brody's research and every shot counts, is that adding driver distance, whether it is through efficiency or swing speed, benefits less skilled, higher handicap players than it does the professionals and elite amateurs. And the reason is, is that, you know, elite amateurs and pros are really good with their irons and approach play. You know, if they have to hit a six iron into the green, it's not as big of a struggle for them as if it was a 15 or 20 handicap, you put them 180 or 200 yards from the green, it's harder for them. So when we talk about increased distance, like this isn't, you know, I know the pros are doing this, but they're, they're looking at it as like, oh, I got to gain seven, 10 yards. It can mean making the tour or not. But for 
recreational players, it's super important. And for a lot of people, it can be a low-hanging fruit, especially with the efficiency stuff. So do we want to like, let's dive into efficiency. There's a few parameters we look at. What what are your, I know it's going to be your top three, but let, let's hear them. Well, in terms of maxing out, we know there are three things I look at. If someone's on my lesson T saying they want more distance, the three things I look at are, what is their launch angle? So how high are they launching that ball? What is their spin rate? And what is their smash factor? Or, or They call it efficiency. It's basically how fast is that ball speed coming off relative to the club speed. So launch angle, spin rate, and ball speed or efficiency. The holy trinity of distance. That's it, guys. That's, that's everything in distance. It is. It really is. And ball speed would be number one. I mean, if, if you've got more ball speed you can stand to be a little less optimized on those other two. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I was actually looking at some of the pros, the stats, because they have the efficiency ratings on, on the PGATour.com. And uh, the, the top guys, the, the number one is Bo Hessler at this moment in time. He's 2.56 yards of carry for every mile an hour club head speed. So he's very close to that 2.6 number, very close to maxed out. McElroy's up there as well. He's he's actually got lots of speed and he's efficient. That's a, a rarer combination. Yeah, he's very yeah, he's super, super efficient. John Rahm's probably up there too. He's very efficient. Can't see John Rahm up there, but I just looked at the either end of the scale. So at the bottom part of the scale, you've got Xander Shoffley. Is that how you pronounce his Shoffley, name? Yep. Xander Shoffley. He's at two point two five. Oh, sorry. No, Dan Berger is at 2.25. He's bottom at the moment. So 2.25 yards of carry for every mile an hour. And that equates for him to 260 yards of carry. But he's got 170 mile, 160 mile of club head speed. So he can kind of, you'd say he could get away with that. And also, you know, these low efficient carry guys, they're probably going to be launching the ball a little lower. And so they'll get more run out as well. So there is that caveat as well. And Xander Schaffler is 2.33 yards of carry for every mile an hour. So his is 276 yards of carry at 119 mile an hour. So these guys at the bottom end of the efficiency, they also tend to have pretty decent club speeds. I can't see anybody below 115 here. Whereas when you get, if you've got a guy who's really efficient, or oh, there's, there's one guy who, who has 109 club speed, which is really low for the tour, but he is he is up on the efficiency scale. You'd have to be by default. That's Brian Harmon. Uh, he's got 109. There's actually 104 mile an hour club head speed here, which is my range. He is up on the efficiency as well. Because you'd have to be, right? You can't play on tour if you've got a low speed and you're not efficient. No, it's just not possible anymore. But in general, when we were talking about all golfers, their context is trying to make a living. Whereas most golfers I see, you know, their efficiency is, they've got a long ways to go with efficiency in terms of their launch angles sometimes are too low, they're spinning it too much, and their ball speed's too low. So they need to work on all three, getting them more in balance. And there could be 10, 20, 30 yards waiting for them without increasing their swing speed. Oh, easily. I did a, a study when we first had radar and the clubs weren't as good then. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But I found that the average golfer was launching about 8 to 10 degrees high and they were spinning around about 3,000 RPMs. And their smash factor was about 1.38, something like that. And so the combination of that produced about a 50-yard loss, a 50-yard power leak compared to optimum. Yeah, I mean, if I look at my numbers, we're probably not great. And me working primarily on the SkyTrack, you know, getting a good drive for me is 14 to 15 degrees, low 2000 spin, smash factor, you know, 1.47, 48, something like that, you know, ball speed in the low 160s. So I am hitting it just about as far as I can for every mile per hour swing speed. And there are golfers I play with who have you know, 115, 117 mile an hour swing speed, and I hit it just as far as them. So it's not always about swing speed. You know, they might not have the right, we'll get into equipment. They might not have the right driver setup, the, the combination of the shaft and the head that they're playing. 
they might be launching it too low, as Adam said, like nine, 10 degrees, maybe spinning it a little bit too much in the 3000s. That robs you of distance, and there's a balance there. So it's really getting those three numbers in check, ball speed being the most important. Do you want, do you want to start with ball speed? Well, I was actually going to start with, because we haven't talked about it, what are the optimal numbers? Okay, yeah, you, go there. So with launch angle, if you can get close to 18 degrees of launch, in fact, at lower speeds, the optimal launch is even higher than that, but it's very, very difficult to get there. I've got there, and the reason why is because I have my own quad, so I could spend all day optimizing my launch. I, could, I know how to tinker these things, but most people will never get there. In fact, when people see my drive the first time, they, they're like, oh my God, that is so high. <laughs> I never thought that was what optimal looked like. So people are really shocked when they see the trajectory of my drive. They're not particularly shocked by the distance it goes, because like I said, I'm not a very powerful player. But in terms of the trajectory, people are very shocked by how high and the, the overall shape of it. It's like a rainbow shape. So that comes from the lower spin rate as well. And I spin it about 1,800 RPMs. And so, yeah, if you can get around 2,000 RPMs or less, and that will change if you launch the ball lower. So if you're a lower speed player and you launch the ball lower, you'll need a little higher spin. However, if we're talking about pure optimal numbers, getting your launch angle over 18 degrees and your spin below 2,000 is pretty universally going to help everybody. And then obviously max out your speed. Yeah, that's going to be tough for most golfers to get there, I would say. You would need an angle of attack yeah. close to 10 which, degrees on which the Which no one – I don't even know if I could do that if I tried. I can get to 12, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got to do some really weird things for that. I've settled personally on about plus 7, plus 8, something like that. That's my, my standard now, but that would be really extreme for most people. But the long drive champions, the guys who you know, the guys who are competing to hit the ball as far as possible, not the tour pros, the guys who are hitting at four hundred yards. In other words, they all hit about ten up on it. It is possible. There are guys out there doing it. And just to explain to people, angle of attack is how what angle the club is is coming at towards the ball at impact. And so, with a positive angle of attack, you're adding loft and launch angle, correct? In general, yes. I mean, in ge- I know it's not like a perfect, for generality's sake, if you want to get the ball higher, increased launch angle, that is one way to do it with a more positive angle of attack. Yeah, if I give 100 golfers a more positive angle of attack, they're going to launch it higher and tend to, launch, uh, to spin it a little less as well. So, and it's a bit of a sliding scale. So, spin and launch, I mean, we can, <laughs> is the, the catchphrase, we could do a whole episode about the relationship between the two but a good rule of thumb is is that if you launch the ball lower if your launch angle is low you need more spin so the the ball can climb into the air if you had a low launch angle and low spin it can't take off the plane cannot have enough thrust to get off the runway so to speak well that's yours that's your ones where they drop out of the sky you said you tried to yeah i had a driver that wasn't right for me and i was spinning it like 1200 and and just Ducks falling out of the sky. Not enough spin to keep the ball in the air. 1,200 can potentially work if you launch it high enough. Yeah, but uh, that's not a functional. You you can't. The the fitter I work with, he says he doesn't let anyone leave his fitting room under 1,800 usually. It's just I wouldn't want to average in twelve hundred. Yeah, because it's not it's not functional for the golf course. Because remember, we're, we're facing different conditions on the golf course than we are in a consequence free environment of, of a fitting situation. So, you know, you got to take into account you might be spinning it eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred in the with no pressure on you. But what's actually happening on the course? Are you going to start spinning at thirteen hundred on some strikes? So, there, you know, there's a I guess a standard deviation. So. Yeah, if, you, if you've got that variability, say your average is 2,000 and you accidentally hit it a little out of the toe and it drops down, it's still going to be functional. Whereas if your average is 1,200 and you hit it slightly out of the toe, it's going to drop down and the ball's going to just dive bomb. No good. So yeah, as Adam says, the, the modern golf ball wants to be launched higher off the tee with less spin. And that's a sliding scale based on like if you could get it up super high like Adam can, then you want less spin. But let's say you can only launch at 11 or 12 degrees, you're going to need some more spin. So it's kind of like there's some good guides online 
you know, the TrackMan one, the one from Ping, I think takes into account angle of attack as well. So there's some cool visuals out there for all you technical people who like to poke around on it. All right, launch angle, your loft at impact is going to be the biggest thing. So whatever loft you're presenting, not the loft that's stamped on the bottom of the club, lots of things that will change that. It's the loft you present. For example, I've got an eight degree driver. Actually, I've got a seven degree now. I still present about 22 degrees of loft at impact. How do I do that? Well, I'm so far behind the ball at impact. My head is behind it. Yeah, your hands. Yeah, your hands must be super. Are your hands behind it too? My hands are a little behind it, yes. But there's also some lead. Is it lead deflection where where the shaft bends forwards a little bit? Okay. At impact, so that also adds a bit of loft. But there's another element to it as well, which is the vertical strike point. So whether you strike higher or lower on the club face, super important. Yeah, if if you look at a driver, it's not perfectly flat. It has a a roll to it. We call it bulge and roll. Bulge is the side-to-side curvature, and roll is the top-to-bottom curvature. And so basically, if you take the loft at the sweet spot, say the loft at the sweet spot was 10 degrees. Well, if you hit half an inch higher, the loft might be 12 degrees at that point. And the reverse, if you hit half an inch lower, it might be 8 degrees. So the loft on the face changes depending on where you strike it vertically only with the bigger headed clubs with irons it's uniform across the face so those are the two ways that i achieve a higher launch uh, sorry a, a higher dynamic loft with the club that i have is by adding loft through technique and through striking higher on the face with the driver so that's launch angle covered any questions on that one john no i think i'm probably the opposite where my instinct is that I'm I'm probably de-lofting a bit at impact, but at the same time, I'm hitting up on it. <laughs> well, you're de-lofting it relative to the angle of attack, but if yes. what, what loft is on your driver? So on my longer driver, it's 10 and a half degrees. And, I'm and what degree do you launch the ball at? You said about about 14. 14. Right. So you'll be, you'll be applying at least 14 degrees of dynamic loft. Yes. So you're, you are actually adding four degrees of loft to it. Uh, if anything, you're probably producing closer to 18 degrees of dynamic loft. Yeah, I know I definitely hit up on it. I haven't been measured lately, but usually I'm anywhere from like two to four degrees up. And I bet with that longer driver, I have it way in the front of my stance, teed up super high, like tilting back. I'm trying to hit up on it as much as I can. Anything equipment-wise that changes the loft? I mean, there's a low-hanging fruit one there. I would just kind of, yeah, I'd, let's interject the equipment part of that too. Loft on driver, as Adam said, there's a static loft on the center. So what's stamped on the face, so if your driver says 10 and a half degrees, that, you know, that's somewhere around the middle. But as he said, if you strike it lower on the face, it could be 8 degrees. If you strike it higher on the face, it could be 12 or 13 degrees of loft. But the starting point is super important because you know most people assume a lower lofted driver will help them hit it farther. For me, it's the opposite. If I was to play an eight degree driver, I wouldn't hit it as far because I would launch it too low. And spin it too low. And spin it too low. This is a very personal thing and it changes from driver to driver. I've tested a 10 and a half degree Callaway head versus a 10 and a half degree TaylorMade head and they don't launch the same because the center of gravity is in there. So my main piece of advice always on equipment is is if you can to work with a fitter because you know you just showing up to the golf store or buying it online and saying like oh i want a nine degree driver and then they're all adjustable and you're playing around with it i've done experiments where i've lost as much as 30 yards of distance by having the wrong loft on the face and i've generally for my setup and my tendencies like my 44 inch driver is set at 12 and a half degrees that's a really important part of it to get right well, this is where we differ, right? You're actually a lower spinner of the of the ball naturally uh, because of the, the big draw shape that you play. It tends to be a lower spinning technique. And so you need equipment that actually increases the, the spin rate. Yes. Whereas I'm the opposite. I can't spin it low enough in a way because I'm, I'm kind of a little early released. And so I need equipment that helps me spin it really low. So I, I will literally use a, a six degree driver if I have to. I got, I think it's seven stamped on the head where I jack it down a degree as well. Yeah. So loft, it, it's, you know, and it, that gets into driver design, like where the center of gravity is, MOI. But, 
you know, the the static loft, the starting point, very important to get right. That that could be. I know people who, if they just changed the settings on their head or got the right type of head for them, that could be ten or fifteen yards right there, without having to change anything in their swing. So that's efficiency through equipment selection. The shaft makes a difference as well because of that the lead deflection. So how the shaft bends through the bottom part of the swing that can add loft or reduce loft as well. I know that when I used to pick up some of the ladies' clubs when I was demonstrating, when I when I'm teaching, I would just hit them so high and so spinny, and the ball would I'd get the same club head speed, but the ball would drop just over the 200 yard marker. So I could literally lose about 60 yards of carry simply because the the shaft was wrong for me. Yeah, the shaft, the weight of it, the profile, the flex. Again, I was messing around with, from that driver experiment I had, I took the the new 44-inch shaft that I had, which was like a prototype shaft that was meant to be for the newer Callaway head. I took that shaft and put it on my older Callaway head, which was the Epic Flash, which is like three years old. Just assuming that like, oh, it's newer, it's going to be better for me. And I was like, I couldn't. I couldn't fly the ball more than 230 yards. I was like, what is going on here? So then I switched back to my original 44-inch shaft. Not, I'm probably confusing everyone here, but I took the original one that I had with my original Epic Flash driver, put it back on, and then I went back to the distance I was used to. My suspicion was is that that shaft was too light. It was weighted for the other Callaway head we were doing the experiment with. So the reason I bring that up is that the shaft profile, everything that goes into it, if you don't get that set up properly as well, that could affect your spin rate, which could zap your distance. Let's go there then. Yeah. Let's go on to the okay. next part. Yeah, spin absolutely. Rate. Yeah, spin rate is you spin it too much, you're probably losing distance. If you don't spin it enough, like we mentioned earlier with me when I got into the danger zone with spin rate, then you got ducks falling out of the sky. Well, yeah, let's look at why a higher spin tends to go with a, a lower distance as well. There's, there's two big reasons. When I see a high spin rate, something in above 3,000 RPMs, the first thing I look at is did they where did they strike on the face? Because a heel strike will tend to increase the spin rate dramatically. If you strike towards the heel side of a driver, the spin rate's going to go up and the ball speed will go down, obviously because there's a heel strike. And because as we mentioned, as I mentioned in, in one of the previous episodes, the heel is actually moving slower than the toe side of the club. So heel strikes will drop ball speed and increase spin, which is a, a bad recipe for distance. That's a double no. That's a double no no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also the vertical part. So if you strike low on the face, there's vertical gear effect. You don't need to know all of it, but the basic summary of that is if you strike low on the face, the ball will launch lower and spin more. And the opposite will happen if you hit higher on the face, where I hit, maybe about a quarter of an inch above the sweet spot, you get a higher launch and a lower spin, which is a perfect recipe for increased distance. Which is going back to some of our episodes on practice. Another reason why you hear Adam and I constantly saying that probably the most effective form of practice anyone can do, especially with your driver, is spraying that face with Dr. Scholl's and having an awareness of where you're striking it, trying to change it. Because again, if you strike it, let's say you revealed that your tendency was to strike it lower on a driver's face, you are reducing launch angle because we've now explained to you that the loft on the bottom of the driver face is lower. And when you hit it down there, you're increasing the spin rate. So like I said, a double no-no. That's two bad inputs for distance by launching it lower with more spin. Low heel is just an absolute Yeah, that's killer. you're dead. And so many people do it. <laughs> yeah, so, so if you one. could figure out where your tendencies are and if they are low on the face, well, I've got good news for you. <laughs> you can uh, start moving those up, you know, a half an inch, whatever it is. You're going to increase your ball speed increase your launch angle and lower your spin. And and the promised land is like not every driver has the same exact sweet spot. That's our third plug for our show there. Just above it usually is like where you can add a little loft and, and lower. That's the hot spot. Slightly high and slightly toe. Yeah. yeah. And it feels, sometimes it feels bad, but then it just takes off on you. 
yeah, those are those those ones where you hit it on the course and you're like, oh, I didn't feel too good. I got a little bit of twisting on that. It felt a little hollow, maybe didn't feel really solid. And then you walk down the fairway and it's 30 yards past your normal. Usually that's a little higher on the face and maybe slightly toe side because that is the place where that's the, the ball spot. speed is going to be highest, the yep. launch is going to be highest, and the spin is going to be lowest, which, again, perfect recipe for distance. That's where I strike it. That's where I consciously aim to strike it. Slightly high, slightly toe. Yeah, so would you say that – so I guess you're alluding to here on spin rate that face contact would be your number one variable to control to get an optimal spin rate. Yeah, it's it's a big one. When when spin rate changes dramatically, if it's inconsistent, then that's going to usually correlate with inconsistent strikes. Like I said, if someone is hitting really high spin rates, you can almost guarantee it's going to be low and on the heel or one of the one of those two. The other two variables that relate to spin are angle of attack and dynamic loft. So we actually call the difference between those two spin loft. So if, if anybody's ever heard of the term spin loft, that's what it means. It's the difference between angle of attack and dynamic loft. So say, for example, you're swinging through and the club is going very level to the ground, so a zero angle of attack, and you're presenting 10 degrees of loft, you'd say there's 10 degrees of spin loft, because that's the difference between the two. The higher the difference, the bigger the difference between the two, the more spin there's going to be. And there's a caveat to that, that there's going to be lower ball speed as well. So uh, the opposite of that would be true. If you can reduce spin loft, then you will get a higher ball speed for any, any given mile an hour club head speed. And you get a reduction in, in spin rate as well. Does that make sense? Or I lost you. Yeah, maybe you lost me a little. But how do you do it, Adam? <laughs> how do you do it? When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so how do you hit app on it? So that what you want to do basically is you want to hit app on it. I don't want to say as much as you can, but you know, as much as you can, then reduce the loft relative to that. So how do you do that? How do you hit up on it? Get behind it more. Get behind the golf ball. So you can achieve that by placing the ball a little farther forward in the stance. I don't like doing that too much. Or getting your your mass of your body leaning away from the target a bit more at impact. So think of, think of getting your head behind the ball. Now, obviously, before you do any of this, we should say consult, consult a physician first because some of this can be <laughs> a little stressful on the body, especially if you do it in the wrong way. But, you know, typically just a ball position a little bit further forward, a little bit more weight on the back foot will tend to get you in the ballpark with it. So that's how you hit up on it. You can also swing more to the right. Most people don't know this, but swing direction will affect low point which affects angle of attack. And the rule there is the more you swing to the right or from in to out, the more app you will hit on the ball, all else being equal. So I, with my crazy angle of attack, I actually swing about 10 degrees to the right. And that's not swing path. I don't. Maybe we can do a different episode for that. But I swing about 10 degrees to the right and I hit about 10 degrees on the upswing. And they neutralize each other, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's going to confuse people. That actually produces a neutral path because swing direction and swing path are different. But anyway, it's, it's just to say that the more you swing to the right, 
the more app on it you will hit. Which could be a good recipe for those slicers out there. Getting your body more behind it might make a slice worse because it can make the path more left. But But if you get them swinging more to the right is what I was suggesting. Yes, that is the that is a great way of doing it. Yes, so getting a player to swing more to the right will help a slice and neutralize their path and hit more up on it. And in fact, many players who hit really down on it, if you look at their pattern, they're also slices. They're swinging left, and so you you don't have to have to change their angle of attack by getting their body more behind it. Sometimes you just have to change their swing direction. What are the you've dealt with i don't know how many golfers have gone through your lesson t on track man but what would you say is a common angle of attack that you've seen for the average recreational golfer it's negative would would i assume yeah it's negative and mainly because Meaning they're hitting av- they're hitting down on it similar to yeah. an iron yeah maybe about three degrees you know you see some extreme ones about maybe five degrees or so i actually tried to hit five degrees down on it the other day and i couldn't (laughs) it was really really i had to force it but usually it's because a player is swiping across it to the left which is the opposite of what we just talked about so the more you swing left the more that low point shifts forwards the more the low point shifts forwards the more down you're hitting on it effectively so yeah players who slice their driver will learn to swing left and they end up chopping very steeply on it which reduces reduces efficiency for many factors i don't want to open up a can of worms with the golf swing but you almost have to view the driver swing as as a different entity from your iron game would you agree with that yeah i mean you could do things like hogan suggested which is just aim more to the right with your feet with a driver yeah that'll affect your path yeah and sweat affect the swing direction will tend to make the low point further back all else being equal so it can be as simple as that but yeah i mean i do see it with myself i see the driver as separate as i see irons and putters you know you don't set up to a putter like you're going to hit a 150 yard iron so why set up to a drive like you're going to hit a 150 yard iron yeah i mean the the reason i i i'm bringing that up is because i've found that experimenting with ball position and tee height. Again, I don't think there's a right recipe for all players, but I think there's a combination that can work for most players relative to their tendencies. I see a lot of golfers just teeing it up in the middle of their stance or close to it with their driver because they're just you know used to that with their irons, maybe teeing it too low. So, I mean, for me, I, I'm moving the ball as far up in my stance as I can now and I'm teeing it much higher that works for me. I don't know if all players would want to go to that extreme, but I found massive differences in just experimenting with like T height, for example. It affects where I'm striking it on the face. I found if I tee it too low, I'll, I'll strike it lower on the face. So that that's not good for the reasons we discussed earlier. Lower launch angle, more spin. And my ball position, I've tested moving it around what it does to my driver numbers when I'm thinking about launch angle, spin rate, and ball speed, and 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 certainly the curvature and direction of the ball, it affects that too. So my point is, is that, you know, not everyone has access to like the GC quad or the track man, but if you can and work with a swing professional or something like that, and you can kind of experiment with these variables and like kind of lock in the optimal ball position and T height, I don't want to say that's going to solve everyone's issues, but it gives you a better chance. I use a little algorithm. So if I need a player to launch it higher, hit more up on it, and spin it a little bit more like you, then I would say ball position is a good option, moving that ball forwards. Whereas if you need someone like me who needs to launch it higher, hit more up on it, but spin it lower, I've found that actually keeping the ball position forward, but not too far forward, but the the main change is getting my body more behind it, as opposed to just jacking that that ball position forwards. When I get the body behind it, I can spin it lower, which wouldn't be as good for you. So it just just depends on what type of player is in front of me. For many slow speed players, you know, maybe juniors or maybe some seniors, something like that, players without swing a lot of swing speed, we'd be using ball position changes. When you get really athletic guys with lots of swing speed, you need to swing it, uh, spin it lower rather. Getting their body more behind it at impact is a good option. Yeah, I mean. There are a lot of variables. I hope, (laughs) my hope is we're not confusing you. We're just kind of letting you understand how they can play a role 
in, in your driver distance and how they affect these three measurements that we keep talking about, launch angle, spin rate, and ball speed. But yeah, I've found that experimenting with T-height and ball position has done a lot of good things for me. And then when I feel like I have it locked in, it just gives me more confidence on the golf course to every time I step up to the tee, I'm trying to do the same exact thing and I feel good about it. Not every drive is going to go exactly where I want, of course, but you know, we're, we're trying to reduce variables in this game, I think is one of the goals everyone should aspire to simplicity, less variables and locking in on what's the best, most efficient decision for, for your tendencies in golf swing. Well, yeah, if you want to simplify everything, put the ball further forwards in your stance, get your body farther behind it. It's, it's that, that simple. That's going to help you with the vast majority of this. Add on a slightly higher T. That's probably going to be a good thing. Yeah, it's just when I'm, as a coach, when I'm making decisions, I might be nudging different variables in, in bigger or smaller amounts, depending on what that player needs more of. Yes, all else being equal, if you made the exact same swing, and you teed it higher, you would hit it higher on the face. In reality, with players, if I give 100 golfers and teed it higher, they would actually swing it higher <laughs> as a result. So sometimes they don't hit it much higher on the face. Another thing as well, the higher you tee it, the more likely you are to hit it from the heel. So you just got to be very careful from these things. And it's for that reason, when someone tees it higher, they end up swinging the club higher through impact and that sends the club out as well which makes them hit it more from the, the heel so you just yeah you just, just got to be very careful with this use foot spray to make sure that you are striking it on the correct part of the face or good part of the face that high and toe side is, is really good anything else to add that definitely what i was suggesting with the t height those were my tendencies but I, I didn't want to make it seem that everyone should do that but what adam said is what i want everyone to do is experiment with different t heights and see how it changes your impact location. You're, of course, selecting the T height that gives you the best chance of striking it towards the center of the face, or like we said, potentially a little bit higher, even a little toey. Center is always best. That's a great exercise every golfer should do is experiment with T height and see what it does to your strike location. And, and you are right, T height. It does need to be higher, especially if you're hitting up on it. And especially if you want to hit higher on the face, so T height needs to be higher. It's just I, I was talking about kind of tendencies that I see in humans when when, yeah. we're, uh, when we yep. act that. No, yeah, everyone. It's people are it, that. That's why we're, we're always giving caveats to everything we say in this because thankfully we have thousands of golfers around the world listening to these recordings, and I know that each and every one of you has your unique matchup. So we're kind of giving you some homework to do on your own and just understand the variables involved. So this is also crucially important. Another thing that I've learned from my good pal, Woody Lashin from Pete's Golf, I'll always plug him. Driver design is not all the same. You know, each manufacturer has different philosophies when they create a driver head. You know, they're all trying to achieve similar goals now, which is as much ball speed and usually as less spin as possible. But it's different. You know, the way ping engineers get there versus a Callaway. Titleist, they've all got different trade-offs they make in driver designs. And if, even from year to year, oh, they absolutely bring out different models. Like I remember TaylorMade doing center of gravity forward one year and then back the next higher and then lower. They just they kind of keep people chasing. <laughs> There's a lot of nuance that most people wouldn't expect. They're like, oh, they're all good drivers, and they are, but you know, I've seen it with my own eyes of me trying one manufacturer's driver and just not functional for me. Couldn't play golf with it. I mean, I could, I'd figure out a way, but it would just be making it harder for me versus some other manufacturers club designs that suits what I'm doing with my golf swing more. A lot of that has to do with center of gravity. That's really important where they're placing it because if you don't strike it there, it will affect your launch angle and spin rate differently. You know, certain drivers based on your impact location might have a center of gravity that's more appropriate for you or how you're delivering the club head. I can't get into all that because that would take 10 hours, but just know that the head design, the style of head, the shaft configuration also can affect your spin rate. There's a lot of moving parts in choosing equipment. I see players sometimes who it looks like everything's in order with their swing, but 
they're not hitting it as far as they could because they're probably spinning it too much because the driver head is just not right for them or potentially the shaft as well. The flex isn't right, the profile, the weight. It's affecting how they deliver the club, where they're striking it on the face. All these things come together. And I don't think equipment is responsible for everything. I always think of equipment as like a 15% influence. That's my number. I can't prove it, but that's just based on everything I've learned. I, b- I believe that's like somewhat its influence on on how your golf ball is going to do what it's going to do. But yeah, spin rate, even with your golf ball too, they're not all the same. I would say the equipment has, has more of a role. But yeah, that's another thing where I would say like if you want to squeeze as much driver distance as you possibly can – Especially when it comes to spin rate, getting the right driver set up is, is very important. Equipment is, is very important, definitely. I would say the technique will probably be the bigger limiter. So oh, if you absolutely. have an awful technique, yes. like say you're hitting five degrees down on it, you could find an equipment matchup that maximizes the distance with that five degree down angle, angle of attack. However, that's never going to be as efficient as if you're hitting 10 degrees up on it and you get the right equipment for it. So both are very, very important, definitely. Oh, yeah, I would give absolute. I mean, the technique always wins. You know, any fitter would say like, yeah, in that situation, let's say if they're talking to you, be like, hey, your swing's not great for distance. We could give you the right shaft and head combination as kind of a Band-Aid to give you as best results we can. But... You know, the best course and, and a lot of club fitters will tell you this is like if they're responsible and knowledgeable enough, they'll say, hey, go get a lesson or go fix this. Like, I know this is your problem. Make that technical change and then come back to me and then we'll fit you. I sometimes give people options. So say I see a player launching it very low and spinning it low and they're losing 50 yards. I will say to them, look, we can we can just jack up the loft on that or give you a slightly different shaft and you'll pick up 20 yards. Or we could go a technical change route, which might require a bit more practice, might be a little bit more difficult, but you could potentially pick up 40 yards. Which would you prefer? <laughs> and then it's, it's in their hands. There's always a door A, B, and up to Z in this game. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that the, my main point would be is that you know when we are looking at driver efficiency – like Adam said, technique, how you're delivering the golf club, that's most of it. But driver setup, the loft setting, style of head, shaft makeup, how all those work together, that alone sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes if you get a player who has the wrong setup, don't change a thing in their swing and give them the right setup, could be 20 yards. I've seen more. I think what you're saying here, John, is there's a sweet spot. There is. There's between, this, there's, between equipment and technique. There always <laughs> is. Well, yeah, I mean, to take the other side of my argument, you know, you've, you've got the poor technique player. Or if, if you have my technique, which is optimal for distance, but you give me a lady's shaft or senior shaft, I'm not going to get the right distance out of it. So, yeah, technique. No, it would be, be horrible for technique you. And equipment are both important. I just say that technique is the limiter. If you know, if, if your angle attack is ten down, you're not going to ever maximize your efficiency. What about ball speed? Did you talk about that? Yeah, I mean that's that's the king. That's the uh, that's number one. Save the best for last. And we're we're, we're essentially going to arrive at the same <laughs> the same answer, which is like, yeah, just strike it on the center of the face. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> that just takes care that takes care of so many things when you can strike it well. The maximum amount of energy transfer you can think of swing speed as your input. You know, when you're on a launch monitor, whether it's you know one of the cheaper ones or a twenty thousand dollar one. You could see this. Your swing speed is the input, but ball speed is the output, which is the most important. Like that's a measure of how much energy you've transferred to the golf ball. I think that's the best way I could explain it. So you could have 120 mile per hour swing speed and have horrible face strikes and you're not, your ball speed will suffer tremendously. If you're striking it at, you know, low on the heel, like super low on the heel, Modern drivers are great, but they can't preserve that much ball speed on a, on a super off-center strike. Even at, even at my level, if I hit it a, li- a little low and a little on the heel, I can lose easily 20 yards. And, and when I say low and on the heel, I might, my hand might come off the club and people think, oh, you struck that awful. 
and I show them and it's maybe a quarter of an inch. But at my level, that is meaningful. And so a quarter of an inch difference in strike can still, even with modern equipment, result in that much distance loss. I will say this, though. They are getting better. They are. Yeah. The, the newer drivers that come out now, like the newer Titleist drivers, they, they this phrase you keep hearing, spin stability. Now they're working on making sure that on an off-center strike, you won't spin it as much as you could because as we've discussed before, increasing spin is kind of a distance killer. So they're working on spin stability across the face. Like you will lose a little ball speed, of course, but if you can maintain spin rate and don't have it kind of balloon out of control, that's a way to preserve distance on off-center strikes. Either way, no matter what, center of the club face is everything, not everything, but most things for ball speed. Would you agree? Yeah, it's it's a big, it's a huge thing. Yeah, so striking center of the face or slightly towards the toe, not enough to miss the sweet spot and lose en- too much energy from that, but enough to just pick up those extra mile an hour that the the toe is moving relative to the whole head. So if you haven't listened to that, I talked last time about the toe of the club head is moving faster than the heel because it's rotating over. We went through that in a different podcast. So slightly on the toe can create more ball speed for any given club speed. A decent strike. Uh, spin loft as well. So again, if you're hitting a club with too much spin loft, you know that's why three would go shorter. It's got higher spin loft. That's one of the reasons why a three would go shorter. So too much spin loft can reduce ball speed. And horizontal spin loft as well. And what I mean by that is if you are cutting across it too much, you know, a big slice, for example, if you're swiping 10 degrees out to in with an open face, then that is going to cut off ball speed as well because it's not as direct an impact. So usually a path that's zero and a face that's zero or path and face that are matched up are going to produce the longest carries or more efficient shots, all else being equal. So those are the big things that produce ball speed. And tracking it, that is one of the benefits of those, everything we've discussed on here, launch angle and spin rate. You can't get on most of those lower end launch monitors. Like some of them offer both like the $500 ones. It's you know like the Swing Caddy SC300 has spin rate in the app. So does the Flight Scope as well. I wouldn't say there is, yeah, the Mevo. I would sometimes say that they're not, as close, obviously, as a as a Foresight GC Quad or a TrackMan. But the launch angle, like I got the new SC300 one, the launch angle is pretty good. So if people, you know, I always get questions about those $500 and below launch monitors. They are great tools to work with increasing your driver efficiency because you can keep track of swing speed and ball speed. Whether you're working, uh, we can get into swing speed after this, but I would say tracking your ball speed and all of them can do that. You know, the PRGR, the Swing Caddy SC200, the SC300, the Rapsido MLM, the FlightScope Mevo, they can all track ball speed for you. And that that's a great, you know, if you're working on your driver and you want to see your progress with distance, like that's one of the things as we pretty much said of those three measurements that's going to be the most important because that's how much energy you've transferred to the golf ball and the biggest predictor of distance. Yeah, so in terms of prioritizing that, when I'm on a lesson tee looking at people, I'm I'm saying if I see their ball speed is low, I'm looking at what's their smash factor. And if that's low, then you're looking at strike quality. That's the first thing I, I see. Are they striking low and on the heel? All right, let's change it. If that's decent, then we're looking at are they cutting across it? You know, is their face to path too wildly open? And then if that's good, then we're looking at spin loft. So that would be a bit more difficult to change. But that's the order that I look at on the lesson team. And let's say someone didn't have access to that. How could you determine? I mean, I would say, I mean, ball speed, you could work backwards and spray the face. So you could see contact without a uh, fancy track man. If the curvature on your golf ball was excessive left to right or right to left, would you say that's a great way to work backwards from ball flight to... Yeah, definitely. I can relatively see spin rate on the golf ball. I know lots of people get slated for that. It's the trajectory of it. Yes. If you hit it, yeah, if you hit it low and or on the heel, you're going to get this shot that comes out a little weaker and it's going to be a little floaty in the air. It's hard to describe. It seems to stay in the air forever and maybe go low to high, so raise up a little bit. Lots of people like that trajectory, but it's actually a distance killer. 
So that, when I see that ball float in the air, I know that's a higher spinning shot. Whereas when I see a ball take a more rainbow trajectory and almost, if it dive bombs, then we know that's too low a spin rate. But that nice rainbow trajectory, it doesn't stay in the air too long, but it just, just has a certain shape to it. That's how I see spin rate. And I'm pretty good because I use these launch monitors all the time. I'm pretty good at telling within usually within about 300 rpms what the spin rate is definitely within about 500 rpms yeah and i can see it on the course when i hit that left to right ball trajectory i, I call it a, a white b fade i know i've struck it on the heel probably low because of gear effect and what we've discussed because i'm a drawer of the golf ball if i strike it on the heel it will impart some fade characteristics to it we discussed that in other episodes but yeah i mean that's what I want most golfers, not everyone has access to the technology, but you know, my goal for this podcast is to, I just love people looking at their ball flight and working backwards. So these are the types of things you can look for and using the, the face spray. If you wanted to buy one of the budget launch monitors, those will give you a little bit more tools in your detective work. And then just knowing what to look for in ball flight as well. So you can kind of diagnose these things and see these as, you know, are these potential distance killers? How can I fix these through my practice routine? That's really when I'm training. If we if we're to simplify this entire podcast, when I'm training, even though I understand all this stuff, all I'm looking at is where did I strike it on the face? And I, I use feel for that. And then I'm looking at the ball flight. Did it launch high and kind of have that rainbow flight? If it didn't, if it, if it went high and went higher and was very floaty, I know it's too high a spin rate and I can correlate that with my strike. Yeah, I mean, I, it it gets back to everything we've discussed with practice. When I'm practicing on the range, I I think about three things. Did I strike it well? What's the curvature of the golf ball and the trajectory? I don't have to worry about ground contact with, with the driver, of course. So you could scratch that one off. But if I'm practicing my irons, I'm thinking about that too, best I can. But yeah, you're, you're, you're just looking at what the golf ball does and kind of working backwards. And while you're practicing, you can make some adjustments. And, and hopefully some of the methods we've given you in this episode will give you those tools because we just don't want you haphazardly going at it. I'd rather your practice time be spent effectively and efficiently. I think we've done it again, John. We're at 58 minutes here, yep. at least on my clock. And there'll be some editing for this, but I think we've done it perfectly again. Is there another topic you want to discuss on this? or we? I mean, the only other big one we left out, I mean, we talked about efficiency, but, you know, let's say you, you tie that up with a, a neat ribbon and you're as efficient as possible. Then the only other step to increase distance is by adding swing speed. Yeah, we've mentioned this in other episodes. I think with swing speed... I would say your best chance is going through some type of workout routine, getting more flexible, explosive, powerful. I think Adam and I are both fans and, and friends with Mike Carroll from Fit for Golf. I would point you in his direction. He's got an app. I'll give him a free plug for that. His app is awesome. It's like $10 a month. And he's got all these different programs. I've used some of them where it's a mixture of like flexibility, speed training, strength. So you're doing a mixture of like, you could be doing a lot of stretching, some weightlifting, which I think everyone should be doing for multiple reasons, not just golf. And then he's doing some more like explosive exercises. So he's a great resource for swing speed uh, and just overall like health and, and injury prevention with golf. And then there's the option of doing the overspeed training with the product like Super Speed Golf, which is you're kind of like removing the regulator off the golf cart by using different weighted clubs and pretty much going after it as hard as you can. We can do an episode purely on swing speed if you want, because there are some technical elements that relate to it as well. I, I am a big fan of just pure training, like you said, speed training. I've never done it, <laughs> but I've seen it work. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it for that reason. But there are some technical elements as well that can create more distance, which we can talk about. Should we? Get, I mean, are we at a point where we need to get some guests on this podcast? Yeah, you get guys like Sasha McKenzie and... Yeah, we we could get. I'm sure we could get those guys. All right. Well, maybe we'll tackle that on a separate one. But those are like my cliff notes, so to speak, in terms of training you could do the overspeed training and then the physical training. And I do a mixture of both, and it just makes me feel better as a human being too. <laughs> like working out is good for you. How did you recover from your weight training before last episode? By the way, 
that you were huffing and puffing from. Were you okay? Yeah, I was, I was a bit sore. But, um, okay, that's yeah, good. You tore some muscles, there. micro yeah. tears. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. That's our spiel on efficiently adding distance to your driver. If any of you take some of this stuff, there could be 10, 20, 30 yards waiting for you. Hopefully you get them. Message us. Let us know how it goes. Adam, where can they find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. If you get the strike plan, I talk about how to increase your angle attack, how to hit that bonnet, and how to find that sweet spot. Those are the two biggest keys with reaching your potential with distance. John, your stuff? Find me at Practical-Golf. I've got deals on some of the launch monitors we discussed, not all of them, on the ones I like more. I'll just say that. So you can check out our deals page. Ask me questions about them. I, I get tons of emails and technical questions about the launch monitors. I'm happy to answer them. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.